So welcome back, listeners. Thank you so much for joining us on our final episode of the season where we'll be discussing A Fantastic Woman created by Daniela Vega and directed by Sebastian Lelio. So, a fantastic woman follows Marina, a server-singer in a relationship with Orlando. When Orlando suddenly dies on Marina's birthday, Marina faces abuse from her lover's family, the police, and medical professionals. During an odyssey of abuse and grief, Marina fights for her right to grieve her lost love and stand up for her identity as a fantastic woman. It's important to note that this film stands out from the other films we've discussed this season. The previous five films were written and directed by a queer woman, but The Fantastic Woman, a film about a trans woman, it is directed by Sebastian Lelio, a queer man, and also written by him with Gonzalo Mazo. Regardless of Lelio's directing, we understand that this film is great because of the authorship of this film, which we can debate that it belongs to Danielle Vega, the star and consultant for the film. Without her, this film wouldn't be the film it is, and instead it most likely would have been a film in conversation with the long history of trans characters played by cis actors. Luckily, this is not the case. Vega at first was hired as a consultant, but Lilio made his wisest choice to cast her as Marina. What resulted was a film met with universal critical acclaim, winning the Queer Teddy Award as well as Best Screenplay when it premiered at the Berlin Film Festival. It was picked up by Sony and went on to win the Academy Award for Best International Feature for Chile. The effects of this film have still proven themselves to today. That's why this film is so important to discuss today. We're having a trans woman as um, playing a trans actor. She's at the center of this film. To me, it was a um, it was reclaiming the whole um, of cis actors playing trans characters. Before a Fantastic Woman, we had uh, what's what's that Eddie Raymond film? We had the Danish Girl. We yes, had um, Jared yes, Little Jared Leto's role in Dallas Buyers Club. Uh, you know, yes. to me, it was so important to talk about this film where we can have trans actors play trans characters. We don't need these, you know. Um, bankable actors to play these roles um just to have people to go watch them and you know having um daniela vega at the forefront was so important for visibility and representation in the trans community i completely agree and you know a fantastic woman um brings more authenticity and praise in my eyes um and especially from a cinematography perspective um this is where i'm just gonna gush on a little bit um this film is visually breathtaking again you know there's an explosion of colors um there's a lot of primary colors that are brought in um, blue yellows red and green um that just highlights um the aesthetics of this film and also um gives a lot of meaning between um gives a lot of meaning behind the intentions of both Daniela Vega and Sebastian Lelio um message of identity and the struggle of being a trans woman in a patriarchal society are strong themes in this film that were so wonderfully addressed and you know it's certainly one of my favorite qu- um queer films of this decade I, I talked about this before. I, I find like the 2010s, like around this era, um, it's like almost like the golden age of this high art, um, high art queer film. And Fantastic, A Fantastic Woman is definitely on the pinnacle of that list to me. I completely agree. 
And, you know, thinking about this film, you know, we've seen this film a few times. We've watched it in an academic setting. We've watched it, you know, just as cinema goers. So now we're watching it for this podcast. And, you know, it's like my opinion hasn't changed. It's like I've seen this film in different ways. But, you know, this still is one of my favorite films, one of my favorite queer films of all time. You know, and it's because of Daniela Vega and this character, Marina, who is such a wonderful protagonist, truly is a fantastic woman. And I love that Vega went from consultant to star of this film. But, you know, going back to her as a character and how strong her character is, you know, her character throughout this film, she faces so much abuse from everyone in the span of less than three days. And she comes out the other end stronger and more confident, able to have the catharsis that she deserves. You know, she faces this abuse that many trans people face on a daily basis. And I'm really proud that a film like this was finally able to show what trans people face daily without it devolving into some type mm-hmm. of tragedy. You know, we, we get this wonderful catharsis at the end of this film. It's very uplifting and hopeful. And it's a beautiful romance. It's also a ghost story. It's part mystery suspense, in my opinion. But, you know, above all, it's this character study of one of my favorite film characters. And Leo, you know, he films Maria, Marina in all her beautiful glory and his use of color that you're mentioning. It's absolutely breathtaking his use of water and mirrors and you know these fantastical storytelling Mm -hmm. devices you know it truly drives home the themes of this film in such a masterful way um so i really can't wait for us to dive into all of these scenes and discuss all of this Mm -hmm. so we open up with a shot of waterfalls. You know, we have water flowing. This beautiful haunting score is playing that, you know, um, I was mentioning reminded me of a Hitchcock film. You know, it has that type of, you know, that suspenseful feeling to it, even though it's so beautiful. And we transition into this beautifully colored spa. And I really want to get your thoughts on the color theory with, you know, Orlando mm-hmm. in the spa, because we're introduced to Orlando. He's relaxing at a spa and he just goes about his day. He's planning a trip for himself and a lover that we haven't met yet. And, you know, at first, you know, we're going through the perspective of Orlando who, you know, not really a spoiler alert since we talked about it earlier, but he does die. And it's interesting to think about the vocalization of this character before we're introduced to Marina. So definitely want to get your thoughts on this opening. So I definitely see the, um, Lilio certainly has influences from Hitchcock in this film, um, especially um, in the beginning with the buildup of the mystery and suspense of what is to come between Orlando and Marina. So I definitely agree with um, your observations on that. And, you know, with the opening shots of the waterfall and then being the spa, you know, um, themes of water, water suggests in film and in general suggests fluidity and change, you know, and, you know, water is a big part of our theme this season as well. You know, um, it's this um, transitioning, you know, this flow from, you know, calm to raging to um, what have you um, that Marina is going to undergo. And I think that's what, to me, that's what the symbolism in the beginning um, meant. Mm. Other than, you know, it's just a beautiful shot of waterfalls, you know, really, (laughs) really setting up, um, you know, how beautiful, how stylistically and cinematically beautiful this film is, you know. And then we get to that shot of Orlando just laying down in the spa, you know, hues of red, um, 
purple blue are cast over him and especially with red and purple to me i saw it as a foreshadowing of what is to have what is to come to orlando lingering on the red and the purple um colors of danger and death you know and just the way he was posed in that scene it looked like he's on a coffin Mm -hmm. and the way he's laying down on his deathbed um to me um that's what this was symbolizing um that foreshadowing interesting you know and that's that's just so brilliant you know to have Lilio, you know as really this film you know student who really understands the the type of imagery and the symbolism that we have when we're looking at all the different parts of making a film and it's just incredible you know that he's setting it up in this way in such a beautiful way too and you know going back to water i completely agree with what you're saying about you know this about this journey you know that it's this ever-flowing journey that marina has to go on and we'll see throughout this film that we have shots of her constantly walking she's you know going through this journey this gauntlet of being able to grieve her lost lover and I really do love the connection with that and the symbolism with the water. And, you know, I think it's a great time for us to, you know, discuss why water is such a huge theme, you know, for our listeners out there. You know, a lot of our promotional artwork that um, Lena here, the fabulous creator that she is, um, created, <laughs> you know, we see these these hues of blue you know we have this fluidity in a lot of the promotional artwork that lena created and that's because we were really meditating on you know the connection between the fluidity and gender identity sexuality as well as you know mm-hmm. the feminine fluidity that we see and think of when we think of the feminine body and you know, it's really great for us to be able to come full circle and see water as such an important theme in this film, you know? Mm -hmm. Definitely agree with that. Yes. Uh, Water and the color blue um, is such an important um, theme in our artwork and a theme of this season. Water um, has this feminine side to it that's early associated with women and the fluidity of women, you know? And again, like you said, it's great to come back full circle to see water um, and reflection to be such a huge um, theme in this film and huge like symbolism in this film that we're talking today. Yeah. And, you know, we talk about the fluidity of, you know, relating women to the fluidity, the, you know, ever flowing nature of water. But we also remember that water is one of the strongest forces in nature and Mm -hmm. has the ability to completely change, you know, structures. And I think we really see that type of strength and that willpower in Marina's character. So, you know, we get to meet Marina next, Orlando, he goes to this nightclub where a singer is performing. Um, This is Marina, who is a fabulous singer, by the way. We get to hear her sing Mm -hmm. multiple times throughout this film. Um, And she's performing. It's clear that they know each other, and it's clear that the trip is for the pair of them as Orlando and Marina celebrate her birthday dining out and slow dancing. And there's also a cute little, you know, waterfall in one one of the computers that is at this club where they're slow dancing together i Mm -hmm. i'm pretty sure it was like some type of like karaoke thing or whatever but 
Um, yeah, more water. And, you know, these are just really sweet scenes between the two of them that really show how much love is between the pair. You know, when we get further throughout this film, we see how, you know, their relationship is questioned and challenged. And we really get to see how authentic the love these two have for each other early on in this film when they're together. And sadly, you know, after they're spending this night together in the middle of the night, Orlando suffers an aneurysm, we find out. And he falls down the stairs, mm-hmm. he gets bruised, his head gets bloodied up, and Marina rushes him to the hospital. And he's taken into surgery, but unfortunately, she learns later that he dies. And that is really where the story starts to begin. Mm-hmm. You know, and it's kind of like in this scene where it's leading up to his death. Um, again, um, you feel that Hitchcock suspense of what's mm-hmm. going to happen, especially with him falling down the stairs. I don't know. I, I got a flashback to Vertigo for some reason. Yeah. Um, yeah. Um, but so another thing that's uh, really great about this scene to me, um, leading up to the scene, it's actually one of the bleakest probably scenes we have in terms of color it's very dull mm-hmm. um in my opinion it's very gray grayish blue and dark so it's very cold and sad right it, it's like we don't we're not getting those hues of colors that we saw with them um, on the dance floor that you know that's explosion of pink and red of this you know um central and romantic um vibrancy that we were seeing earlier and you know with orlando sitting up on the bed in his gray t-shirt um you know breathing heavily it's a very like cold and dark scene and you know um and devoid of color just leading up to you know the ultimate demise that um we see that happens to him mm-hmm. and uh just quickly i'm um, going back to the um you know, their romantic dinner. I just wanted to say I found it really interesting the inclusion of the Chinese restaurant and um, having the waiter sing happy birthday in Chinese to Marina. I'm not sure if it meant anything. I just found it really strange, in my opinion. Um, But yeah. Yeah, no, you know, I found it very interesting too, you know, because we're in Chile and, you know, Mm -hmm. we have this Chinese restaurant and, you know, I just... I think how I looked at it was that, you know, there aren't a lot of spaces, you know, a lot of safe spaces Mm -hmm. for this couple. And, you know, I feel like this is possibly a safe, a safe space, you know, from, you Mm -hmm. know, people who might, you know, understand and, you know, not care as much about the relationship and Marina's identity. I'm not sure if that's reaching or, you know, we can consider no, this yeah. a safe space. Yeah, I actually see it. I actually think that makes sense. Now, um, hearing it from, hearing you say it like that, that, you know, they're kind of in this other world, um, you know, with at this Chinese restaurant and um, being sung to in Chinese. They're in this other space where, you know, not a lot of people, not a lot of eyes are on them. Yeah, I, I definitely agree with your assessment on that, yeah. And I like that because... You know, seeing it as another world, we really do see how intimate this couple is and how little interaction they have Mm -hmm. with anyone else. We don't see them interacting with people because they're in their own world. This is, you know, this bubble that they're able to be in because of their love and their, you know, their 
magnetism towards each other. And it may not be because it's just a safe space and they would possibly be judged somewhere else. But, you know, it's like they're seeking out these places where they can be as intimate with each other as they can. But, um, you know, of course, he does die. And Marina finds out from the doctor who then wants to take her back for some questioning. And this is when we really start to get a feeling that, you know, this is going to be the type of treatment Marina is going to face, you know, and it's something Mm -hmm. that she is aware of because of her own personal experiences outside of the narrative of this film. But, you know, the doctor obviously clocks that she's a trans woman and is very suspicious Mm -hmm. of her and Orlando's relationship and wants to chat with her. You know, instead, Marina, she says she needs to use the bathroom. And, you know, it really isn't the time because she just lost someone that she loves. She deserves to be able to grieve his death. Mm -hmm. Instead, she's being questioned about his death and about their relationship. And so... She goes to the bathroom. She pulls herself together. She leaves. She calls his brother, Gabo, and um, le- alerts him to the fact that Orlando died. He said that he would take care of everything. And, you know, feeling absolved, you know, being able to not have to worry about answering questions, about doing anything, she can actually, you know, go off and, you know, allow her emotions to come to the f- you know, the forefront of herself and come to the surface. Um, And so she runs out, you know, out of grief, you know, it's completely understandable her reaction, you know, anyone who would face losing a loved one, it's like, they just want to get away, you know, they want to escape. And so she's trying to run, but then she's picked up by officers who escort her back to the hospital. And it's clear that the doctor had, um, called the police or, you know, some, someone in that family had called the police, you know, regardless. It was someone who thought that she was running because of, you know, something suspicious. And so she gets questioned mm-hmm. by this officer who interrogates and misgenders her and just treats her like she's a suspect, even though, you know, this mm-hmm. man had an aneurysm. And it isn't until Gabo arrives and vouches for her And, you know, even though Gabo isn't the best character, you know, he's not the best ally for Marina in these situations. He's probably the only redeemable person in this family, um, you know, once we get introduced to the other members of this family. But, you know, it's it's a hard scene to watch, along with a lot of the other scenes that we're going to come up with. This scene with this officer misgendering her and Mm -hmm. treating her so poorly you know, after she lost mm-hmm. someone she loved, it's really hard to watch. Yeah, I agree. You know, uh, Gobble becomes an interesting um, person um, in Marina's life. And it's also an interesting conversation on allyship, especially towards uh, um, in the trans community with Gobble. Mm-hmm. Um, so, uh, you know, we'll definitely talk more about Gobble um, in the end, towards the end. And, you know, in this scene, I agree with you. It's a it's a really heart disheartening scene to watch. For me, just because, again, yeah, Marina is trying to deal with her grief. She was running away. And, you know, the officers or whoever called on her to bring her back make it seem as something less. You know, they um, already were seeing in this scene where she's being treated um, less than a person. Right. Yeah. We're having we're having the officer, you know, ask for her ID, um, misgender her. And 
I think, you know, this is, to me, this was a great commentary about, you know, how how the hospitals, how the system, how the patriarchal society oppresses trans women, especially with the continual asking about their dead name. Yeah, I completely agree. You know, we see this misgendering and using a, a dead name, you know, later on mm-hmm. in this film. And it's from somebody who is, you know, supposed to be an ally who really turns out not to be an ally. And, you know, even besides, you know, um, when we talk about misgendering and dead naming someone, you know, there's also so mm-hmm. many other things that, you know, we see that trans people face on, you know, a very passive aggressive type of level. And we see that Mm -hmm. in the next scene when Marina is working, we see that she's also a server. And I really love the scenes because at the beginning of the scene, she's, you know, punching this like punching game machine (laughs) and wherever she works, it looks super cool because it's like this restaurant Mm -hmm. that's like at a carnival. It's super fun. Um, But, you know, I just love those scenes because, you know, it's like, you know that she needs to let out that aggression after dealing with that asshole of a cop and that uneducated doctor, you know, and just dealing with the loss, you know, it's like she hasn't, she still hasn't been given the chance to grieve because she's just been questioned by these people. And now she has to go to work and she has to put up this front. So, you know, it's like, yeah, I totally get it. You know, punch the shit out of that. Um, yeah. <laughs> but, um, you know, she, goes to work and, you know, her relationship with her boss, you know, it's a little strange, you know, we can tell that Marina is fearful that she might get fired if something bad happens, you know, and her boss Mm -hmm. is very inquisitive and, you know, is, you know, fishing for details about what Marina, you know, was going through, why she couldn't take a shift, even though she wasn't scheduled. And, um, you know, you do worry for her and her job security, especially as a trans woman. And, Mm -hmm. you know, any misstep could possibly get her fired, which makes the next two things that happen when she's at work very distressing. You know, first, she Mm -hmm. has to take a call from Sonia, who is Orlando's ex-wife, who appears very agreeable on the phone at first, you know, asking her if she can return Orlando's car to her at work the next day, you know, talking about, you know, the apartment and, you know, trying to come up with a solution for that. And, you know, you're watching this film and you're thinking, okay, you know, she might not be horrible, but, you know, we'll see exactly how authentic her, you know, genialness is on the phone later. Um, so she has to take that call and deal with that. And then she also gets a visit from this detective, a detective, Adriana, and she's from the sex crimes unit and she was alerted Mm -hmm. from the officers at the hospital the previous night. And, um, you know, it was either them or, you know, someone in that family who alerted her and she goes to visit Marina and she starts to question her relationship with Orlando, basically implying that Marina was working as some type of prostitute and she had to kill him in self-defense, you know, and, Mm -hmm. you know, it's clear that none of this makes sense. You know, it's like, she's proven her relationship to this man, you know, she's proven why he sustained the injuries that he did. And the way that he died was not, you know, her fault, you know, she didn't do anything, but she's still getting Mm -hmm. questioned and treated like she's this victim. And, you know, it's like 
all of these very, you know, personal internal questions that are being asked, you know, they're questions that wouldn't be asked to somebody who is not trans, who's cis. And it's all because Mm -hmm. she's this trans woman and she's viewed as this other, even from this person who should be an ally to her, who really doesn't treat her like such. And, you know, it's just very unfortunate. You can tell Marina wants to get out of this conversation because nothing she says will deter this woman from her own preconceived notions and her own bias when it comes to this relationship. Mm-hmm. Agreed. And, you know, it's uh, interesting because the boss is the one who makes up the excuse to try to get Marina out of um, that situation. Yeah. Um, towards the end. Yeah. And then, you know, um, going back to with the detective, it's interesting because Marina, again, like we go back to the interrogation from the doctor and the officer um, back at the hospital. And then we look at um, the interrogation from this detective who, again, yeah, you're right. She's supposed to be this ally who's supposed to who says, you know, you know, I've seen all these cases. I understand what's going on. I think I know what's going on because I've been I've seen this my whole entire life because I'm part of the sex crimes unit, you know, and. So, yeah, she's seeing Marina as this other rather than this person who's grieving, like another lover, another family member, you know, and that's the way everyone is perceiving Marina in the entirety of this film. She's not this woman who's grieving the loss of a lover. You know, her identity keeps being brought up. She's a trans woman rather than her just being a woman who is just dealing with a great loss, you know. Yeah, exactly. And, you know... This is so far the type of structure that we're seeing with the story, but then we get into some more interesting elements, you know, because after this long day at work, you know, Marina's driving Orlando's car and she's going back to their apartment. And while she's waiting for the garage door to open, she finds a key and it's the spa locker key that Orlando had. And so Mm -hmm. it's like this little mystery that Marina, you know, can use to really understand, you know, the life of her lover, you know, during like, you know, the secret, you know, to, you know, hold on to him a little bit longer. And we really see that manifest And when we get the first sighting of Orlando, who appears in the entryway of the garage as this type of apparition, Mm. this type of figment of her mind. And I really saw it as like this reminder that she needs to be able to grieve. You know, it's like he's there to remind her. It's like, you know, your subconscious is telling you that you need to work through this. And he's appearing that way. But, you know... It's also like this manifestation of this way of her holding on to him, you know, by thinking about this key, trying to figure out what this key is for. And we see him manifested because, you know, this is her way of strengthening her bond of holding on to him without letting go. Mm -hmm. You know, we see a lot more hauntings with um, Orlando later on. you know, especially in the car wash scene. Um, But, you know, I'm getting ahead of myself because I believe there's an important scene before this um, where Marina's at her apartment and Bruno comes in, right? Yeah. Oh, gosh. Yeah, she gets to meet the another person of the family. And this is like really mm-hmm. the start of one of the worst days 
in her life, I'm assuming. Yeah. You know, she wakes up, she finds that he's entered the apartment, you know, without her consent. And he threatens her, alludes to her trans mm-hmm. identity, asking about if she got the surgery, asking about her genitals, which we know is a huge no-no. Mm-hmm. And then he pushes her up against a wall and, you know, is trying to force her to move out. You know, he's a total dick. He's an awful person. And, you know, it's like, how could Orlando, you know, have this horrible son because he is just so terrible. But, you know, I really love that in the end because he kept calling her Marissa and she stands up for herself and she's like, it's Maria Chow, you know. Mm -hmm. I love that as well. And, you know, we see another point where, you know, she's it's not. She's not being misgendered um, in the scene, but essentially it's the same thing when she's when he continually calls her Marissa and she repeatedly um, corrects him and says it's Marina. You know, I, I think that was another example of, you know, of your identity, of her identity being attacked um, and not acknowledged by, you know, this really transphobic, homophobic um son this man who you know he's gonna do horrible things as we see later on in this film yeah you know that's the truth you know it's like it's just another disregard of her identity and who she is and he knows exactly what he's doing you know and we see that when marina meets his mother who is you know sonia the ex-wife of orlando but, you know, before mm-hmm. that, you know, she wants to get the car nice and ready because she's trying to be a good person and make sure that it's in tip top quality before returning it. And I really love this scene. You know, she's going through this car wash, you know, she's just letting everything wash over her and we get the theme of water again. It's like this cleansing experience, you know, and mm-hmm. she sees Orlando as this apparition in the background in the back seat. And I really wanted your thoughts on this scene. I remember when I first saw that scene, I jumped because it scared me. (laughs) Only because um, that's one of my fears about going through car washes is that some random person is going to pop up behind you and, you know, something horrible is going to happen. So, yeah, I was really scared. I I jumped on that scene. You know, to me, this scene, again, um, as we say, as you stated earlier, Nick, is, you know, Orlando is still haunting Marina, you know, um, she's he's part of her every thought, you know, because she hasn't properly grieved him yet Mm -hmm. Um, with everything with everything going on with her being interrogated with her needing to deal with his transphobic families. um, Marina just hasn't had the time to fully grieve and um, process what has happened with her in Orlando. Right. Yeah. And, you know, um, the car wash scene is really interesting to me as well, Um, again, because so. There's two sh- predominant colors um, that are in this film that um, really stand out when you watch it, and that's blue and yellow. And so blue and yellow are complementary colors um, on the color wheel, just going on color theory again. Um, and, you know, um, throughout the film, we see Marino wearing blue a lot, you know, and um, yellow is kind of off to the side and separate. I think that back in the apartment, there is a yellow dress um, hanging on the wall, and I think the wall was like um, painted blue, mm-hmm. right? Um, so those colors are really important in this film. I'm, I haven't completely worked out the meaning behind the colors other than that, you know, visually they just look really pretty. Yeah. Um, 
and you know that they're complementary to each other but i just thought it was really interesting because as she's going through the car wash scene the spinners um that you know the little brushes against the car are blue and yellow mm-hmm. you know and so i thought that was really interesting to have um to you know put forth those colors again um together because you know blue and yellow are complementary and i feel like marina's at this split um with herself right now um in terms with everything that's going on and you know with everyone poking at her identity right now and you know later on we'll see a fantastic scene um where those colors meld together and she kind of embraces her um her identity embraces her power in a way yeah. Um, but I'm going ahead of myself on that part. Yeah, no, but you mentioned probably one of our favorite scenes in this film, and I definitely know what you're talking mm-hmm. about. It's great. Yeah. And I can't wait for us to get to it. Um, you know, mm. but I think it's really interesting, you know, that, you know, we're looking at it as this kind of juncture in her life, you know, where it's like she's, you know, kind of in this weird stasis because she hasn't been able to move on. And so, you know, we see how the effect of the cleansing of the car wash, you know, it's supposed to cleanse her, you know, it's supposed to be representative of her being able to move on, wash her hands of, you know, this experience. But then she sees Orlando in the back and he's like, no, you know, it's, sadly this is not going to work it's like this this type of dynamic of you know these two forces that are coming together and it's really representative of the stage of her story within this narrative at the point Mm -hmm. so agreed you know after the car wash she goes and she meets sonia and you know the woman that was on the phone is completely the opposite of the woman that we meet. And it was very clear after watching the scene that the reason why she was so genial is because she wanted to lure her there and, you know, and ensure that she would show up where, you know, she had to hold back her very horrible um, thoughts and words <laughs> so that she can say them during the scene. But yeah, so, you know, mm-hmm. it's like the interaction she's having with his family it just continues you know um she meets sonia and this woman is literally evil incarnate in my opinion Mm -hmm. you know she calls the relationship between marina and orlando a perversion and she calls marina a chimera which you know Mm -hmm. anyone who doesn't know the meaning of that word it's this type of very ugly monster you know it's like she's Mm -hmm. she's literally othering her you know and then she dead names her before threatening her to not attend Orlando's funeral. You know, she calls Marina Daniel. And, Mm -hmm. you know, we can just tell how infuriating that is to Marina. You can just see it. And then she goes as far as to say that she would die to protect her daughter, you know, in relation to (laughs) Marina showing up to the funeral. Like, her being there would just, like, devastate this child, you know? And it's Mm -hmm. like, what the fuck does that even mean, you know? And it just seemed like this type of threat where she's like, I will fight you and possibly die, or I'll kill you if you go to the funeral. It's very, very ominous. And, you Mm -hmm. know, just again, like, with... Bruno, I just love the way that she handled it because at one point, you know, she had 
accidentally, you know, she had called Sonia ma'am and that was on the phone call that they had previously. And Sonia's like, you know, don't call me ma'am, call me Sonia. And then Marina accidentally calls her ma'am again, but then corrects herself, you know, like a decent person. And so, Mm -hmm. you know, after just being hurled this abuse, this verbal abuse from Sonia, it's like Marina just sneakily like, puts in ma'am with like every response to her, you know, just to piss her Mm -hmm. off. And I just love that. I'm like, yeah, you fucking call her ma'am because you know, she (laughs) deserves a lot worse than that. Yeah. It's a subtle jab, you know, but you know, it's still effective. Um, It's interesting because um, going back to the chimera part um, to give a little bit more context of what a chimera is. So a chimera is like this amalgamation of in Greek mythology, uh, a goat, uh, a lion and a dragon. Right. It's like, no, sorry. I think it's a goat, a lion and a snake. Right. Uh, depending on which uh, version you're reading into. But it's like basically three animals melded into um, one, into this monstrous figure, this just, um, you know, this disformed monster you know that has two heads and a snake for a tail um you know and the fact that um sonia really calls her a chimera is you know it's really attacking um marina and you know her trans identity it's really trying to call her this monster calling her this disfigured monster that has you know um you know that is embodied because you know trans um in history trans was seen as like a third sex um you can correct me if i'm wrong and you know having this animal that's embodying of three different um three different animals um i thought that was a really cruel illusion that um that lilio was trying to say by having sonia call marina a chimera yeah it's really one of the worst you know statements that can be made specifically in that Mm -hmm. culture and yeah you know in regards to her trans identity relating her to this like disfigured monster you know this type of Mm -hmm. frankenstein like monster that you know just is a harbinger of bad things you know it's it's horrible Mm -hmm. what she calls her right and it brings back to this whole entire um thing about trans women and trans um people who are seen as the monstrous other right mm-hmm. um we see that a lot especially with the um with the horror films that we see um with trans people seen as this you know serial killers these murderous killers this mm-hmm. monstrous other right um you know but that's another conversation um that we can have later on um but going back onto this scene it's also interesting that um sonia purposely tells uh, marina to park on a parking level that's completely um you know absent of other cars absent of other people because you know she really sonia doesn't want anyone to know her interaction with marina she doesn't want anyone to see her with marina to see her with a trans woman Mm -hmm. you know to see her with the trans woman who her ex-husband was in love with um you know sonia really goes to deliberate lengths um to do this and you know going back to what she says about protect her daughter i really hate (laughs) that statement you know that people like to throw out it's like oh no i'm trying to protect my daughter you know it's a dumb argument where you try to bring in your daughter into it and try to make this whole defense and saying oh no i'm just you know the reason why i'm being so horrible to you and saying these things is just because i want to protect you know my daughter who i love and you know i think that's such a dumbass excuse it is it's a horrible excuse you know she's using her daughter to you know just 
say all this transphobic shit. And, Mm -hmm. you know, it's like that daughter, it's not like she's going to know about Mm -hmm. what's going on unless, you know, they tell her. You know, the only reason... Right, she's she, seven years old. Yeah, she's seven years old. It's like, she doesn't know who Marina is. You know, it's like, the only reason she would ever be upset is because of the way people act around her and because of the grief mm-hmm. of her father dying. You know, it's like, it's not about Marina, but they want to make it about that way because then it's an excuse for them to treat her horribly because, oh no, it's a child. You know, that's just how, you know, cultures and societies around the world act when it comes to protecting children. And it's like, no, that's not an excuse that can be used because it doesn't make sense anymore. You know, we understand that it's just transphobia mess behind, you know, these types of family values, you know, Mm -hmm. but you know, Marina's journey, it continues and she goes to meet detective Adriana and, you know, she's forced to go there because Adriana wanted her to call her and set up a time to meet. And like literally less than a day had went by where Adriana like calls her and is like, you've left me no choice. You have to come meet me. I'm not requesting. I'm telling you. And it's like, don't make me send, you know, um, someone to come and get you. And it's like, seriously, it's been less than a day. Like give the woman a break, honestly. I know. And so she's forced to show up there and age, you know, Adriana, she's just continuing this conversation that she had started when they were at Marina's workplace. And what she does is she says that she needs to perform a physical evaluation on her and Marina, you know, you can tell Marina knows exactly what's going on here. And, you know, Adriana just masks it, saying it's very superficial. You know, there's not much that's going to happen. Of course, we learn that's not the case. So, you know, she has to change into one of those hospital gowns. And there's this conversation between Adriana and the doctor. And the doctor is asking about how to address him. You know, he's misgendering mm-hmm. Marina and... You know, the detective, she's like, no, you have to ask her what her name is, you know, treat her like a woman, you know, and all of that. And it doesn't really matter because, you know, the main issue of the scene is that they're looking to, you know, take pictures of, you know, her body. You know, they have her in this hospital gown. They ask her to, you know, show her top you know, lift up her arms and she's holding this hospital gown at her privates. And Mm -hmm. then of course they ask her to remove it so that they can see her genitals. And there's this sick fascination that this detective has. She immediately goes to look at Marina's genitals and, you know, she just has this look of judgment, you know? Mm Mm-hmm. I, I, I really hated this scene um, just with the way I felt for Marina um, and how she was completely stripped away um, from everything. And, you know, she was devalued in the scene and you can see how discomforting she feels um, in her posture of how stiff and um, insecure she is. You know, and again, like going back to the detective, you know, peering down at her gentle area when, you know, they ask her to remove 
um, the robe, it, it goes back to, again, to me, I, I went back to Bruno asking, did you get the operation? You know, and it goes back to this conversation everyone seems to be obsessed with, um, you know, when it comes to um, talking about trans people, I'm um, talking to trans women, you know, did you get the operation? Did you have the sexual reassignment surgery? It's like everyone's so fixated between what's between your legs rather than actually treating you like a decent human being. Again, you know, Marina, in this scene, she's seen as less than a person. She's not treated um, like a human being. She's treated like another experiment, you know? And and it's also obvious, like, to me, it's like the point of the, taking the pictures, again, you know, one, it's supposed to be a consensual act, right? And, you know, it doesn't feel consensual. It feels like Marina's being forced into it. And it was supposed to be to show if she has any, like, bruises or harm and for defense, um, you know, trying to make a case out of something that's not there. And, you know, this this detective is like so pressed to find something, you know, and it, it baffles me as to why, you know, obviously there's no signs of, you know, clearly there's no signs of um, any bruises or, you know, foul play that happened between Marina and Orlando. And it's like Marina said, like she told the doctors he fell down the stairs, you know, as they were going to the hospital, you know, that's where this whole entire like drama seems to stem from throughout this movie of why she's complete continues to get interrogated because she's seen as this, you know, monstrous other, this woman who is a killer, this trans woman who's a killer because they think that she killed Orlando, you know, when in fact, no, nothing happened. It's just everyone's, you know, misconception and, you know, they're, um, perception of what it is of what trans people are you know they think them as the other this monstrous other who is you know a deviant and you know um that comes to play when everyone keeps interrogating her for um something that she's not she hasn't even done yeah no that's that is the truth you know she is treated as these this other she's treated very inhumanely and i really felt Mm -hmm. like there was some ulterior motive to what this detective was trying to do because you know she must be one really shitty detective because (laughs) yeah if she did her research she would know that marina is not a sex worker you know it's like she's a lounge singer she's a you know, a server at a restaurant, you know, that she saw her literally at her workplace. And it's like, if she had done her mm-hmm. research, she would know that she would not be in that type of relationship that she's trying to prove. So, you know, so hard. And, mm-hmm. you know, it's like, there has to be some type of ulterior motive, this type of fascination. But, you know, I think it, you know, when we're looking at the issues within this film, when it comes to the officers, you know, going off of her ID card that she's not able to change to reflect her, you know, true identity, you know, as well as the way that medical professionals and these detectives treat, you know, trans people that it's really Mm -hmm. inappropriate. You know, we see that this is what happens in different countries. And that's why this film was so important, especially for Chile, because, you know, what we get to when we talk about how important this film is, we really see the type of impact this has of what Marina faces is something that, you know, trans people in Chile and other countries face on a daily basis. And there was real change made. Um, but I think there's something that you had mentioned that, you know, I really liked because I think it's something that we can track throughout this film. And that is, you know, just how much Marina is degraded 
and made to feel mm-hmm. less of herself because of how they view her identity. You know, it's like mm-hmm. we really see that, you know, she was blossoming when she was with Orlando. But, you know, as soon as he died and she started facing this criticism, we really do see that she's starting to not, you know, have the same type of, you know, respect and confidence in herself. And it's something that she really needs to, you know, bring back something that she needs to prove to herself over and over again, you know, and it's hard, but, you know, I think it's something where we see this journey, her being able to stand up for herself and what she goes through. And, Mm -hmm. you know, it's, I think it's a great thing to track through this film. Yeah, I agree. You know, we have all these other institutions, you know, we have, you know, people, um, doctors, the hospital, you know, the justice system, um, the healthcare system, all trying to strip away Marina's identity. And, you know, it's, it's horrible what they're doing. Um, and, you know, her journey of towards end, you know, of getting back her identity, getting, reclaiming her body, reclaiming herself, you know, reclaiming her power from all these people who are trying to, you know, break her down to just like a footnote, trying to break her down as just like another um, character um, in their minds in society that they um, already stereotyped. You know, her reclamation in the end is just so powerful. Um, I just wanted to talk about how, again, the detective's mentality, you know, she it's interesting again because like it just made it made me sad because when i first watched this movie i was really hoping she would be a good ally you know um come to defense for marina and just having that scene at the hospital um having her so fixated on what's between marina's leg was really disheartening to me because it's like she this detective is surrounded in the sex crimes unit you know she's supposed to be doing good you know she's supposed to be coming to defense to people who you know are victims um and yet she has um in this unit she has already come up with a narrative um about all trans people you know and that influences her mindset and the way she's treating um marina and you know i i wonder if that's you know another commentary about you know how you know we all see queer people um trans people based on what media is showing us you know mm-hmm. um and you know fantastic woman is doing the opposite where it's showing us you know a more vibrant complex character yeah and that's what is so important about her character and her character arc through this narrative. But, mm-hmm. you know, so, you know, after facing these horrible situations, dealing with the detective and dealing with Sonia and Bruno, she goes to visit her singing instructor, this music teacher. And it's really one of the only kind people in her life that she has a connection with who, you know, taught her to sing and continues to teach her. But he doesn't really offer her the emotional support she needs. You know, he's like, mm-hmm. you know, sorry, that's that's not our relationship. But I can help you sing. We can work through what you're dealing with by singing. And it's a really great scene for her singing. Um, and, you know, it's something where she really doesn't get what she needs from her music instructor. But, you know, it's still something where we see that she's still able to sing, use her voice, and, you know, it's a little reprieve for her. But, you know, then she gets a call from Gabo, 
And I think this is a great scene when you're talking about allyship that, you know, we can really dive into. But, you know, he basically Mm -hmm. tries to, you know, bargain with her and he's trying to bribe her with some of Orlando's ashes in exchange for not attending his funeral. And Mm -hmm. first of all, I was just so, I was just surprised that they were able to schedule this funeral so quickly. Like it's been a day. So I was, I was pretty surprised by that, but you Mm -hmm. know, Marina, she's had it of dealing with this family and you know, she basically hangs up on him, tells him, you know, basically that, sorry, you can't bribe me. And in one of my favorite scenes after that, um, Marina faces another fantastical element of this film And it's that the wind is forcing her stuck in her steps. You know, she's not able to move forward so much that her body starts to become inverted as she's fighting the wind. And it's such a great Mm -hmm. moment for Lilio to really visually express what Marina is feeling about how trapped and how, you know, um, it's it's perfect for basically just how she's been feeling, you know, throughout this day of coming up against all of these horrible oppressors. And it's like, she's just Mm -hmm. fighting to get through it. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And, you know, going back to the scene with, uh, her seeing Schuchter, you know, I, I agree that I was sad that he didn't offer her a lot of comfort, but I also think that it was nice to have a, to finally have a character after missing Orlando for so long, to finally have a character who sees Marina for just as Marina and sees past her, past this, you know, her identity as a trans woman, but sees her identity as a singer, which, you know, is so important to Marina. I'm mm-hmm. um, seeing, um, you know, we'll find out. And it's just something that's a part of her that's, that stands out the most that he really wants her to, um, you know, work on to, you know, really elevate. Yeah. And so that relation to me was just so sweet in a way, um, just thinking of it in that way. And, you know, going back to Gabo, you know, yeah, it, like I thought Gabo would come, <laughs> would be more of a help, you know, a more better ally in this film, but you know, the way how he, he's also ashamed the way that he's uh, granted he's not as cruel as you know Sonia and Bruno he isn't um he's not using transphobic slurs um but he he still in a way is you know um he's still hurting Marina by not allowing Marina to grieve by not you know by still hiding Marina um away from the funeral I don't know why but I thought of uh in Watermelon Woman but that scene with Cheryl, um, Gwenwer Turner, and you know the other woman, uh, the the older sister or the younger sister of Martha Page. Martha Page, thank you. Mm-hmm. Um, and you know the way that Gwenwer Turner was silent in that scene. You know, I thought like again we have a, another ally who who wants to help but is not really helping and instead is still creating more um, problems. You know, and I saw that's what Gobble was really doing. He's creating more problems and he's not truly accepting of Marina. Mm -hmm. 
Yeah, I think we see that a lot with allyship with the trans community, mm-hmm. you know, and it's like we mm-hmm. we see that people are performative and they're very passive about their advocacy and supporting mm-hmm. of trans people. But when it gets down to actually doing the work that actually makes a difference, um, mm-hmm. you know, we see that lacking. And, you know, that's something that we see with Gabo. And, you know, it's like there's still that, you know, regardless of, you know, if you're progressive or not, you know, if you're in the queer community or not, like sometimes there's this bias. And sadly, that's something that is still prevalent where we don't see the support that really is needed for the trans community. Mm-hmm. And, you know, what's... Uh... What's also interesting about this, uh, the scene where she's talking to Gabo, it's also a really beautiful scene, actually, um, with her walking by this really grand fountain. Mm -hmm. And, you know, we're getting a lot of water again with this um, fountain scene. So, you know, I I don't know uh, if there was much more to if there was a symbolism to her walking by the water fountain scene and Gabo's conversation, other than it being just another beautiful shot. It is a beautiful shot. And, you know, Mm. if we were to, you know, analyze it and look into it, you know, the water fountain, you know, it's like this, you know, explosion of water, you know, it's this very forceful, you know, flow of water, and it possibly could relate to her emotions at the moment of just, you know, feeling like she's ready to explode because of how Mm. frustrated and angry she is. It's like she's this, you know, this geyser in the form of a water fountain that needs to be let out yeah yeah i I like that you know and especially it pairs well with um you know the scene you're talking about um with her going against the wind you know she's going up against these forces um that are holding her back and you know she's ready to explode she feels you know powerless like with the guys are just going up in one stream you know but not really like going anywhere else um yeah I like that assessment. Yeah. I definitely want to get more thoughts on your um, your interpretation of her facing the wind, you know, you know, mm-hmm. your thoughts on Lilio using that device within this film. Mm-hmm. I really like that device. Um, again, it's, you know, Marina is going through a tough time and, she's going through a lot of obstacles and the wind pushing her back is to me, it's, you know, throughout the scene, she was dealing with men, you know, transphobic shit. Um, and the wind kind of embodies that the wind is trying to push her back. And I, you know, the camera kind of slants as well. I believe, you know, it's this really interesting scene where she's, she's slanting and, you know, um, and she's just tilted downwards. Um, I thought that was a really interesting way of, how the camera was posed because you know it's it's like she's her world isn't being so untilted right now she's being um everything that's going on everything that was so like you know making sense to her with orlando and everything was so peaceful everything is now in disarray it's chaotic now it's unstable and that's how i felt with um hallelujah sorry i don't know why i butchered that was framing this um shot you know especially with the addition of the wind you know she's you know she has she's dealing with multiple forces that are pushing against her Mm -hmm. and yet um marina continues to trudge on she continues to move forward and you know 
already we see um that's what makes her such a fantastic woman and you know that's something that um as a trans woman as trans people have to go through um you know they have so many forces that they have to um push through that are continually pushing against them they have to continually push against the grain you know um push for their rights and push to be accepted and to be heard and just to be able to walk on a sidewalk without um you know getting hit by the wind and pushed back onto the ground yeah no that's a perfect interpretation i loved that sentiment because that's true and you know marina has handled everything so far with dignity grace you know and Mm -hmm. it's like no one should have to deal with that but you know she she does it and i do love that it's not the the same type of statement that that's how trans people should act because nobody should have to act that way in the face of adversity and so i really love that she does fight back you know that she does use her voice and she allows herself to get angry rightfully angry with how people have treated her um but i think what also is really great as this type of character study of a trans character you know not that she's passive but that she's very active and you know moving forward you know but also that you know going back to your converse what you were saying about her and her music instructor it's like we see that transness is not solely her identity you know it's not that she's just this trans woman but she's also a singer and i agree completely that that is you know the biggest part of her identity is the singer and i think it's something important where we need that representation of not just focusing on the trans identity of a character but really the the holistic part you know the holistic of their identity so i really like that also and yeah you know we see that even when she's facing this adversity and facing up against the wind it's like she's constantly moving because this is constantly a journey for her and Mm -hmm. then she gets home and it turns out not to be her home anymore. You know, she she gets there. She finds that her stuff is taken out. All is left is that yellow dress on the wall. And mm-hmm. her dog, um, Diabla, was stolen. And we assume it's by Bruno because he was talking about how it was his childhood dog, even though he stopped sleeping with her because of how stinky <laughs> she was. I was just like, yeah. leave the dog. Like... Don't talk about the dog and then steal it if that's the way you feel about it. You know, I'm just like, that Mm -hmm. poor dog does not deserve to be stolen like that for someone who's only doing it to get back at Marina, you know? Um, But yeah, anyways, letting that anger subside, you know, so she's, you know, effectively kicked out. So she calls up two of her friends who are very supportive and, you know, they offer her a lot of empathy and you know give her some of the support she needs and you know she marina's very sneaky because she finds out where the funeral is being held that day and so she's discussing it with her two friends who you know are helping her move her belongings to live in with them temporarily and you know they're discussing the funeral and her friends you know advise against it that it's only gonna ask for trouble but marina she has 
fucking had it. She's like, no, I deserve the right to grieve among these people who don't respect or, you know, acknowledge and accept my identity. It doesn't matter because mm-hmm. I just want to be able to grieve and pay respects to this man that I loved more than obviously these people loved, you know, or else they would have loved and accepted him for, you know, his identity as well. And, mm-hmm. you know, she decides to run away from her friends because they're planning on, you know, taking her back to their place. And so at this juncture, she like hops out and she escapes because she's making her way to the funeral. Yeah. Um, yeah. And, you know, to go back to, um, when she gets kicked out at the apartment and that yellow dress that you brought up again, uh, on the wall, um, you know, yellow is a symbolism of joy of happiness and uh, you know usually that's what it symbolizes and to me with that apartment as she's leaving it you know I felt like that was the last you know shred of happiness and joy she felt um you know that was harbored in that apartment with Orlando and with um Diablo and having that yellow dress just standing there and I just thought that was so um fantastic in a cinema cinematographer perspective um you know just having her last piece of joy um being taken away you know and she goes I like you said her friends take her away and you know her friends are trying to tell her not to go and um you know, but Marina, like you said, she has the right to go. Like she's at this point, you know, everything has been taken away from her, her home, her, um, her companionship with her dog and, um, every bit of happiness and memory that she had with Orlando is gone. So yeah, she has a right to storm off and sneak into the funeral and, you know, what happens at the funeral, um, and what happens after is completely horrific. And, you know, um, I can't wait for us to like really dive into it because I've been waiting so long to talk about um, this specific scene. Yeah. So, you know, she goes to the funeral and when she arrives, she's automatically turned away. Like the seven-year-old daughter is crying. Everyone's in an uproar mm-hmm. and, you know, she leaves and, you know, Gabo, he chases after her and apologizes, but, you know, she doesn't want to hear it. And so she decides to just walk off. She walks away But, of course, you know, that's not the end of this. And then, you know, as she's walking away, she gets attacked by Bruno and members of the family who, um, you know, shout slurs at her. They're following her in this big SUV. Then they drag her in and kidnap her and, you know, are manhandling her and, you know, are just being very physically abusive, you know, just continuing calling her slurs and you know she's you know talking about how disappointed you know Orlando would be in Bruno for what he's doing and so they decide to tape up her face and completely disfigure what she looks like because of the tape it shuts Mm -hmm. her up because they mostly tape around her mouth and she looks like a monster because of what they did to her. And, you know, they finally let her go in an alley where we see that there's a prostitute far, further down the alleyway, you know, who's at this car. 
And, you know, Marina walks away. She goes to a parked car's mirror and she looks at herself in her face, you know, her tape covered face and, you know, takes the tape off. And to me, you know, it was really interesting because the pose that she had, you know, it mirrored the prostitute, the sex worker at the end of this, at the end of the alley, you know, as she's Mm -hmm. looking into the mirror at this car. So I really, really want your thoughts on this scene. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, so this scene with the kidnapping, again, it it might be triggering to some. Um, um, that's one thing I want to say about, you know, the violence and the language that's used in the scene, you know, with um, the way that Bruno and his other, you know, I think, you know, cousins are and uncles are like driving uh, alongside Marina, she's trying to walk away, and they're you know they're yelling slurs at her, and you know I think there's one line where they where they go like um you know why don't you go ruin someone else someone else's family you fucking monster, right? Again we're having Marina degraded, we're having Marina seen as the monstrous other as this monster figure again, which is um reinforced when they taped her face like you said um tape her face up um that disfigures her and makes her look like an actual monster mm-hmm. right and having her um look into the reflection um of that car in the alleyway it's really in a way it's the way how to you know with reflections um when you look in a reflection it's it's discussing about your identity, the way how you see yourself, how other people see you, um, and you know how the world will see you. And I think at that moment, you know, Marina was seeing herself um, the way people were seeing her as this monster, or you know, the way that you know people were making her out to be as this monster. And as she rips away those tapes, you know, it's not, you know, she's not that person. She's not this monster. She's not that prostitute, um, um, that John that you you see at the other end. You know, she's. Um, this isn't her um, life that, you know, that's so um, purported in media, you know, um, that's so stereotyped. You know, she isn't this monstrous other. She isn't this prostitute that's at the end of the alleyway. You know, even though even though these are things that happen, you know, you know, trans women, you know, um, there is a history of them going to prostitution because they can't get in their jobs. And, you know, this is how they have to survive, you know, but Marina is a survivor, you know, but she um and she's a strong survivor, as we see in the next scene. You know, I don't know if I articulated um that well, my analysis of that well, but yeah, that's how I felt about um everything in that scene. Yeah, no, I think you articulated that perfectly. You know, it's like we really do see her as this other in the scene. And it's like, mm-hmm. you know, we see the connection between, you know, how trans women have been portrayed in media as sex workers and mostly sex workers, anyone who's watched Disclosure, that documentary, would know that that is typically the role that trans people have to play, you know, in television or movies. And so Mm -hmm. I really liked, you know, this commentary on, you know, Marina being viewed not only as this other, but also as the stereotyped profession for her identity Mm -hmm. and how she subverts that, you know, in her character and who she is. You know, of course, you know, on this podcast, we, you know, we um, support and are very loving towards sex workers, amen to sex workers. Um, But that's not all that trans people are. And it's not fair or right to, you know, 
represent them solely as that. And so it's great that we have this character like Marina who offers some type of counter-programming to what we've typically seen when it comes to trans identity. Agreed. And then, correct me if I'm wrong, um, the next scene, we get the club scene? Yes. Oh my gosh. Okay, so one of our favorite scenes. So, you know, after being attacked, you know, she, poor Marina, she's just completely numb and, Mm -hmm. you know, detached and, you know, just completely dejected because of how she's been treated. Like, this is you know, been one whole day. This has all happened in one day since, you know, she met Bruno in the morning and, Mm -hmm. you know, she goes to this club and she finds a random man performs oral sex. You know, she's just trying to numb herself and, you know, just escape. And when she is done with that, she sees Orlando in the crowd And we know whenever he pops up, he's this reminder. It's like, no, what you're doing is not going to help you. It's not going to help you reconcile with, you know, your grief and our relationship. You know, you can't, you know, just have a random hookup to escape. You know, sadly, you have to face these feelings that you're feeling. And so she goes into the crowd. She dances, you know, she dances out her emotion. And then I love it because, you know, the scene, it transforms into this choreographed dance with Marina at the center and you know she's wearing what you mentioned before this combination of blue and yellow like gold and we have blue throughout the scene and she flies up after this choreographed dance and she just stares at the audience you know her hair has been longer she has this beautiful makeup on she just looks completely regal and beautiful and you know she's just she's shown in this beautiful glory it's like she's shown the audience she's like you know I can't be broken. You know, this is, you know, you have to look at me because so Mm -hmm. many times, you know, trans people aren't regarded. They're not given the attention and focus that they deserve. And she just stares at you and she's like, you will pay attention to me. And, Mm -hmm. you know, I just, I love that. I love that scene. Yeah. It's, I think it's my favorite scene in the whole film. Um, I will admit the first time I watched it, I didn't understand <laughs> the meaning behind that scene. Um, I, I was like, why, why is there a dance number all of a sudden? Um, but, you know, watching the film more times, it's it became my favorite scene and understanding what it meant, the meaning behind it is just more powerful. Um, going back to, um, you know, going me talking about color again <laughs> um, in this scene. You know, there's a lot of blues and red heavily be, um, uh, before this dance number, especially the color red. I think, you know, it's a kind of red symbolized either passion or danger or, you know, it's a warning sign. And, you know, I think it's flashing red um, during the dance scene and during the um, scene where um, you can correct me if I'm wrong. <clears throat> the scene where uh, I think she's giving the blowjob, it's um, dispersed in red. It's hued in red. And, you know, it's. I think it was a warning for Marina, like she's kind of going, you know, she's going into a dangerous territory right now. And, you know, she's, um, you know, she's feeling a lot of anger, too, because red symbolizes anger. She's feeling so much anger with everything that's happened. And, you know, she needs this catharsis. And I thought to me, that's what the um, dance number symbolizes is this catharsis, you know, um, of finally like, you know, letting go of everything that was happening to her that day, you know, embracing her 
embracing her awesomeness embracing that she's a fantastic woman in this beautiful number you know um and because also it's a the what she's wearing she's wearing a blue and yellow um coat i think it's like a um this glittery coat and again you know it's a complementary color that's finally infused together that she's wearing because um throughout the film she's just wearing blue right um she's mainly just wearing blue or like neutral colors you know and here we have this vibrant and colorful um outfit that she's wearing and um you know she's all glammed up and you know this is this is where marina i think is finally um she's letting go and like you're saying like she's looking at us in the screen um looking directly at the audience at the camera for her to be seen you know in this glamorous in this beautiful whole woman um that she is yeah you know i really like that this is a very cathartic moment for it. You know, it's it's not mm-hmm. the catharsis for her grief and, you know, Orlando, but it's her catharsis and her letting go of the day. You know, I completely agree mm-hmm. with that. She needed this moment because that really was a horrible, no good day. And, mm-hmm. you know, she starts off the next day definitely more refreshed, you know. You know, she's at work. She's waiting on this man and he has the same type of a key that or that she found that was Orlando's. So the mystery continues, you know, and mm. she asks, you know, where the key belongs to. And, you know, he's able to give up the information of the spa. And so she knows that she has to go there. She has to go there because she wants to, you know, find that last piece of Orlando that she, you know, didn't have access to, you know. And so... She is on her way to the spa, which is called Funlandia, and there's this very great scene, and I really want your your thoughts on it, where she just stops because there's this very large mirror that is being moved mm-hmm. by two workers, and she's watching her reflection, and she's just staring at herself in this reflection, and mm-hmm. I really... You know, comparing this to the scene where she's staring in that car window and looking at her reflection with all that tape around her face, you know, and we're talking Mm -hmm. about mirrors and looking at oneself in that reflection. And, you know, even earlier when she was, you know, way back at the beginning of this film when she was at the hospital and there's this doubling where she's looking at herself in the mirror at the hospital, Mm -hmm. you know, I really wanted your thoughts on this scene before she goes to the spa. You know, especially what's going to happen in the spa, I thought um, having her stop in from the mirror and look at herself and, you know, was so important to me. I thought, again, I felt that she was seeing herself, you know, really assessing herself. And I think she, especially because what happens in the um, spa scene, to me, it was her kind of reconciling with her own identity with her own transness mm-hmm. um i don't know if you saw it that way um but i saw it like she was finally fully accepting of every single part of her and what has happened in a way um because when she goes into the spa scene um she has to do this doubling as you're saying she has or she has to you know present as her um as her assigned sex where she has to pretend to be a man where she walks in um you know to go to see orlando's locker right to find out what's in that locker um you know 
to me, that's how I saw the mirror scene in a way of her looking at herself and, you know, really looking at herself and all of her identity and um, embracing it as a whole. Yeah. You know, it's like, it's a great reminder for her before she goes into the Mm -hmm. spa because she knows what she's going to have to do when she goes there. And it's like, Mm -hmm. this is her to remind herself of who she is, you know, that she is this woman and she's a you know, amazing, fantastic woman. You know, we're going to continuously mm-hmm. quote the title when we talk about Marina, but you know, it's like, this is a great reminder and yeah. you know, the strengthening of her because what mm-hmm. she goes through would be so difficult. And, you know, I, I don't know if I can really speak to it. You know, neither of us can because, you know, no. we're, we're cis and, you know, we, possibly wouldn't know what that experience would be like for what she does but you know she goes to the spa and yeah she has to drag up as a man so that she can get into you know the men's section to go to Orlando's locker and so she starts out you know as her authentic self and the women's part of the spa changes sneaks her way into the men's section and it's like you know it reminded me of like crossing the river sticks, you know, and it's like, she's, mm-hmm. she's going from this one world to another world. And I just, I can't imagine how difficult that would be for someone, you know, for someone mm-hmm. who's, you know, worked so hard, you know, to become their authentic self and to really accept that through years of, you know, questioning and, you know, really getting to that point where she really loves herself and is strengthened by her identity mm-hmm. to then have to go into pretending to be a man, which is how, you know, all of society, how all of these people have viewed her before as just some man in a dress. You know, I can't imagine how challenging that would be, mm-hmm. but it's worth it for her because this is her chance to reconcile with Orlando and, you know, get this last piece of him, you know, to savor this last piece of him. And, Mm -hmm. you know, it doesn't matter what's in the locker. And we find out that there isn't anything in the locker. But, you know, it it matters to her that she was able to, you know, find this last part of Orlando. And it really fuels her, you know, to make her peace with him and to rush and go to his wake so that she can finally get that catharsis that she needs from the ending of this relationship. And, Mm -hmm. you know, I think it really helps strengthens her identity as a trans woman having to go through this metamorphosis. It's like the spa has become this place of, you know, metamorphosis for her. And so Mm -hmm. she transforms into what she doesn't identify with. And then she goes back and she's fueled on and strengthened in her identity. Is that Mm -hmm. is that kind of what you saw, too? Yeah, no, definitely. And, you know, go going back to the mirror scene, um, again, like when we look at ourselves in the mirror, uh, you know, I'm completely going to butcher Lacan and all this stuff, but like it's supposed to also it's kind of like seeing yourself in, I think, um, stages of your life, um, stages of your identity, right? You know, I, you know, forget I said Lacan, sorry. Um, but, you know, it's like seeing stages of your identity in life. And with all the reflections that we see throughout the movie, you know, the first one that you brought up with the her in the hospital, you know, she's terrified. She's in that reflection. She's um, pale. She doesn't know um, what's going on. And, you know, soon her identity is being stripped away as we go on. And then the um, another important reflection that we see is from that car reflection, you know, where she is seen as a monstrous figure, you know, um, 
And, you know, I think what's also important about in this scene um, with the big mirror, I think I read somewhere is that it, it's interesting because other people are holding up the mirror when she's looking at it. And, you know, she's looking at uh, it's supposed to be like a reflection of how people see her um, in life um, by holding up a mirror to her and, or like to me. But to me, instead, it was like how she's presenting herself to other people right um, at this stage. And, you know, it's right before in the scene she's looking at her at this moment at this stage where she's at where her identity has been completely stripped away and then she goes into the spa scene where she you know she fully accepts herself and she's such a resilient woman um to be able to as you said drag up as a man and just to find that piece of Orlando you know and uh, going back into this scene again in the spa scene um uh talking about color again it's it's interesting because it's tinged green it's like this teal greenish um atmosphere that's surrounding her as she's um going through the spa as she's dragged up as a man as she's opening orlando's locker and you know green has this um uh this aura the symbolism of being you know um kind of a queasy feeling you know and so like you know even though marina is you know, she's doing this and, you know, she's, she's such a resilient, strong woman to be able to do this, but, you know, she's still uncomfortable and she's still uneasy about what she's about to find and what she's, um, what she's doing, you know, but, um, you know, I love what you said that how she comes out of the spa, um, finding nothing, um, you know, she still comes out as this strong, resilient woman. She's transformed. Um, you know, she had this transformative experience within the spa, you know, and that goes back to, you know, when, uh, that whole thing, when you go into the spa, you know, you get, um, you get yourself cleansed and you come out as like this more re this reinvigorated and refreshed, um, person. And, you know, that's what comes out of, um, Marina after this scene, she, um, you know, she fully embodies herself and she doesn't, take you know any shit anymore after the scene she completely like stands up for herself and she's this fantastic woman who um you know i think it was the scene after this where she's jumping on the car screaming for her dog yeah exactly yeah so you know like you were saying this process reaffirmed her identity it reinvigorated her and so she decides to go to the wake because um you know earlier her friends and her um, were discussing, you know, the obituary and where the wake was going to be held. And so she shows up there and it's after the wake, you know, she went to the spa instead. And so she's walking there and Bruno, Sonia and Gabo are in this car and they're right behind her. And, you know, they honk at her, they, you know, yell slurs, they tell her to get out of the way. And it's this confrontation between them. And, you know, instead of like getting out of the way, you know, instead of being passive and, you know, being this type of person who is, you know, genial and not going to engage, you know, she decides, you know, I'm fucking done with that. And she jumps on the car, like you were saying, and she scares them half to death. You know, she's like crawling mm-hmm. on it. She's, you know, she's acting like this monster as, you know, how they described her. She's finally fulfilling that for them. But it's, mm-hmm. you know, out of this anger towards them and not her identity. And, you know, she's like pounding on the car. She's demanding her dog. And she's finally giving them the aggression that they deserve. You know, and, Mm -hmm. you know, it's great to finally, you know, see her 
be aggressive and to fight back. You know, she would, you know, do it in a very polite way previously, but this time it, you know, it doesn't matter. She's like, I'm sick and tired of this. I'm going to make peace with my lover and, you know, too bad. You know, you can't push me out of the way. You're going to see me. You're going to be confronted by me. You can't just view me as this other and try and cast me aside. That's not going to happen anymore. And I love that she confronted them and made sure Mm -hmm. that they saw her and that they knew now that they could not be the same type of intimidating people to her anymore. Mm -hmm. Yeah, um, she made sure that they couldn't walk over her anymore. No. Right. Um, I, I remember when I saw this scene, I was like, hell yeah. Like, you jump on that car, break that car. Yeah. Um, because, you know, like, yeah, you're right. Like, this entire um, movie, she was, Marina was the bigger person. You know, she was constantly trying to hold back. She was constantly trying to, you know, think about how the family felt in their grief rather than, you know, letting her you know, also, um, feel that grief and also let out that anger of how she was being treated. You know, it goes back to, um, you know, where trans people, why is it that trans people always have to do the work of explaining? Why do they always have to, um, be this bigger person, um, and always kind of like accept, um, the intolerant and transphobic things that are thrown at them, um, by trying to always, you know, educate um, others. And, you know, educating others is a really good step into um, teaching people. But it's at the same time, it's like, you know, you don't always have to be that person. If you're, you deserve to be angry and to lash out because it's not right. It's not fair. And that's why when I saw the scene, I was very ecstatic. And I, I, this is probably my second favorite scene, actually, just having her ang- angrily scream um, um, at them to give her dog back and jump on the car. And, you know, in, in this scene, we also have, um, you know, as uh, Bruno is, you know, c- calling Marina, um, he, you know, a misgendering Marina again. Um, we have Gabo in the back saying, no, she's a woman. Right. And so we have this interesting, you know, interesting thing with Gabo here again, you know, where he's he's silently defending Marina, but still not actively doing anything. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. You know, just another representation of that type of allyship. But mm-hmm. um, there was something that you were saying about her in the scene. And, you know, it definitely reminded me. Oh, gosh, I'm just trying to remember what you just said. Um, <laughs> because, yeah, no. OK, so, you know. I think it's really important because, you know, it's not on the impetus of, you know, a trans person to explain their identity, to be, you know, courteous of other people's feelings. You know, that's that's not fair. That's not something that should be put on a mm-hmm. trans person. You know, it's up to the person who wants to ask these invasive questions to find out on their own and, you know, to work against their own bias And, you know, to just be supportive, you know, to, you know, not make, you know, their interactions with trans people about their transness, you know, and I just, I, I know it's a tangent, but I really liked what you were saying. Um, Mm -hmm. But, you know, 
I felt like we really got the catharsis we needed as an audience to really see her lash out and to release that aggression. It's like, this is the catharsis the audience gets. And it was really worth watching because it did feel really good to finally see her do that to them. Um, Mm -hmm. But, you know, after this, she carries on and she goes to um, where they're cremating Orlando at this, in this morgue inside this um, mortuary, I'm assuming. I'm not really sure what type of building it is, but you know, she goes there and she goes down to the morgue and she sees her last time seeing Orlando as this apparition. And I definitely want your thoughts on, you know, the color theory here because it's a washed mm-hmm. in red. You know, we get a lot of red hues in the scene and he comes mm-hmm. up to her and he's there to, you know, embrace her, but she recoils from him. And I was very, you know, intrigued by this. And I really wanted your thoughts on it because, mm-hmm. you know, after that, he leaves her, goes into this room where his body is being held, you know, spooky enough as it is. And so Mm -hmm. she makes her way in there and, you know, she's over his body before it's getting cremated. And she's finally able to make peace. She's finally able to get the catharsis that she needs from this relationship. You know, this Mm -hmm. is what she's deserved, what she's earned, and she's finally able to have that so she can move on. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And so in this scene, yeah, she's the color red stands out a lot, especially in that scene where, um, you know, the haunting figure, the ghostly figure of Orlando um, pushing her against the wall and, you know, trying to kiss her and make out with her. And you have that red light flashing behind them, you know. You know, there can be a lot of different interpretations of the scene. You know, a lot of people had different takes on it. Um, a lot of people also weren't sure if, you know, if Marina at this point, if this actually ever happened, if it was a hallucination, if she actually saw Orlando's body. You know, that's one interesting theory to um, bring up there. Um, and but, you know, to me, that flashing of the red, you know, it's a it's this passionate moment, you know, this passionate memory she has of Orlando and with Orlando. But it's also this kind of dangerous memory that she's holding on to, you know, this dangerous relationship that she was holding on to with, um, you know, Orlando and the family. So, yes, she had a, you know, a romantic um, and loving relationship with Orlando, but in a way it was it seemed to be tinged with a lot of dangers to herself and her own identity and a lot of, you know, um, with, if we go back to, if we go back on to the theory of, you know, them being into this other world, this safe space of needing to hide in this Chinese restaurant, it's this, um, other world where she has to hide, you know? Um, so to me, maybe I think that red flashing light was her just needing to let go of Orlando, let, letting go of this past relationship with him and needing to properly grieve him and move on to be you know the woman that she needs to be or no not needs to be the woman that she is to um fully embrace it and you know uh, and go out and openly be herself and so maybe that's um maybe what the red was symbolizing other just other than this um passionate romantic moment but also this you know this um transitioning of her life, of needing to let go of this um, toxic um, memory that, you know, an experience that she was just going through. Yeah, you know, I I can definitely see it that way, you know, it's this kind of warning of not letting go. And, you know, it might not be, you know, specific to their relationship, but just about her holding on 
to him and not moving forward that, you know, this is, you know, her seeing him and this apparition and holding on to, you know, those memories that, you know, were so comforting and great for her, but they were holding her back because she needs to move on since he's dead. And it's like, this is this warning that you can't continue to indulge in these apparitions, you know, that you need to move on. And that's why it's like, possibly that's why she was kind of recoiling away from him because she realized that she shouldn't indulge anymore. And then she was able to finally make peace. Yeah, I agree. You know, um, especially when she's in that room with him, uh, again, there's no color. So we can also see colors in this film as like, you know, we can see colors in this film as this fantasy um, you know, these heightened senses that Marina's going to, that's kind of like, um, you know, that isn't grounding her to reality. And then when we get into the scene where she's um, looking at Orlando's body right before he's um, cremated, it's, you know, there's no color. It's again, it's, um, but it's not as bleak as maybe that first scene um, where Orlando is um, experiencing that aneurysm, but it's a more like, it's a more realistic palette you know it's not completely bleak but um it's also not infused with all these um vibrant hues like the reds and the greens and the blues and purples that we see in this movie and i think moving forward after the scene we don't really see those vibrant hues anymore you know everything's just in a very natural colored tone this realistic tone that's just capturing marina's everyday life and experience yeah, no, I completely agree. You know, we talk about a fantastic woman, we talk about the fantastical elements. And, you know, we talk about this journey that she was on ever since his death, and how we can really relate a lot of the fantastical elements, these color hues, these vibrant colors, the apparitions, you know, all of these plot devices that are used, like her, you know, going against the wind, you know, we see this as this journey that's very fantastical. You know, it's like, we don't know how much of it is actually, you know, realistically happening and what is just a representation of, you know, her condition, her human condition that she's facing. But I completely agree because we don't see that after she gets this catharsis and lets Orlando go. You know, we see her, you know, towards the end of this movie, she's jogging with her dog. I was so happy she was able to get Diablo back. Like, Thank you. Um, But, you know, she has this new apartment, you know, it's, you know, filled with light. It's very lively, you know, and you can tell that, you know, she's starting to feel a lot better. She's getting back to, you know, her strength and self, you know, that there is this very strong woman inside of her after this experience. And so, you know, she prepares for this performance at an opera house where she sings this beautiful solo. And it's the final scene of this film where, you know, the camera is focused on her face. She's looking fantastic. Um, Mm -hmm. You know, listeners, you're definitely going to have to tally up how many times we say fantastic within (laughs) this podcast recording. But no, she does. She she does. And she's fully in her element as she's singing, you know, very confident and proud. She has this huge band behind her, this huge audience in front of her. And it's like she is fully coming to her own as the singer, not just a trans woman, but a singer. And it's such a wonderful, uplifting final scene to watch. And, you know, we get to see her proud, confident, fully in her element, loving herself. 
And as the film ends, we have a great feeling as the audience knowing that Marina will be all right. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I love the final shot of her um, just singing again, because it goes back to, you know, she's more than just a trans woman. You know, it's part of her identity for sure. Um, and it's an important part of her identity, but it's also it's not the only part of her, again, which goes back to her relationship with her singing instructor, you know, um, and I'm just so happy it ended off with her being appreciated, being watched and exalted. You know, we also see Marina and we also hear Marina for who she is. And I thought it was just a great way to end it, you know, and, you know, this film is just so important um, because of trans representation, but not just because, you know, it's a trans actor playing a trans woman, but because it's a you know, it's a fully fleshed out film with very cinematic elements to it. You know, that's such a journey to go through. Yeah, there's um social and political themes into it, but it's also um on a higher level. It's an art film. Um, that's how I would see it. It's a it's a really artful film, and um that would go up there. You know, with Moonlight and A Portrait of Lady and Fire, uh, Fire and Carol, and you know, possibly even more to me. Um greater than some of these films you know um it was just such a great film for us to discuss and to end off with because you know it's this um reclamation of you know the of a woman's body the reclamation of being a woman the empowerment of being a woman you know and you know we don't get much of like as we talked about in other movies and other episodes about you know you know, about um, showing sex on the screen, but, you know, because that's not the point, because this a film and, you know, the season is really discussing and empowering women on the screen. Um, and especially with, um, I think we really um, emphasize this with the fantastic woman of having this powerful, strong um, woman as an actor and as a character to be um, represented. Um, especially by an esteemed uh, director. And, you know, um, going back to, I think, uh, Sebastian Lelio, he also has other films that, um, you know, talk about powerful women and really wants to put, um, really puts women at the um, forefront, um, such as Gloria, right? But I think with A Fantastic Woman, he just goes even further. And it's just such a wonderful film um, to experience and watch. You know, and we talked about the other uh, episodes where we really talk about queer um, women as directors, um, you know, behind the screen. But I think it was really even more important to, in this episode, even though we don't have a queer woman behind the camera, it's even more important to have a queer woman playing that role, um, especially in a role and in a field that's been so disadvantageous to that community. Yeah, you know, and... She was such a huge part of this film, you know, besides embodying this character and being, you know, the face of this movie, you know, like we were talking about, she con- she was the consultant for this film, you know, mm-hmm. there's so much of her DNA on this film that that's why we talk about her really as the author. And, you know, we can see that there is a queer woman behind this film, even if it's directed and written by men. Um, but, you know, going back to, you know, the importance, like we, we can definitely talk about it as this high art film, which it is, and it really elevated it to the attention that it received, but we cannot overstate the political implications that the film had. You know, when we talk about the importance of this film, you know, 
a fantastic woman made history at the Academy Awards, you know, for being a film about a trans character that won the Best International Film Oscar for Chile. And the success and visibility of this film provided the focus on a gender identity bill in Chile that was passed to allow trans individuals the right to change their government information to reflect their authentic identity, which, you know, if we're talking about the purpose of film, you know, this is incredible, the effect that this film has had. Um, But, you know, by having Daniela Vega console and craft this film and then star, you know, this movie provides authentic representation for trans identity, something that, like you were saying, is a fully fleshed out character. And it's something that has seldom been the case in many of the films focusing on trans identity, specifically as trans woman we see along with all the films that we covered and talking about queer women and the reclamation of the queer woman's body you know we see that this is really the best fitting end chapter of this season on the new wave of queer woman identity and how it continues on That concludes our episode, our last season of season two with, um, with a fantastic woman. Yes. Thank you all so much for joining us for this last episode. You know, it's been great sharing all of these films with you, Lena, as well as all of our Mm -hmm. listeners. And, you know, this isn't the end. We've got a lot more to share. So everyone stay tuned for more. So stay safe and stay queer.